guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. This episode of Dubai Works is sponsored by Petra Insurance, a groundbreaking player in the UAE insurance market. With more than 55 years of experience in the industry, Petra Insurance offers a range of products to individuals and companies, providing quick solutions and the advantage of paying in installments. They also recognize the importance of transparency and they make it a point to assure trust in their policies. You can get in contact with them directly by visiting insurewithpetra.com. This is episode 150 of Dubai Works Business Podcast, a great milestone. And for all those who've been listening all along, thank you for sticking with us. You'll recognize lots of familiar themes on this show. So firstly, it's the beauty sector, but it's manufacturing in the UAE, it's direct to consumer, it's B2B, it's e-commerce, it's all these things that come up time and time again. And uh, it's a great interview. It's, I was inspired by it and I'm glad from you know, from listening to Stevie, her story, I can learn from it, but also uh, to know of another good product and another good company coming out of the UAE. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast, the second one of the year, and we're talking about the beauty industry. We have Stevie Lomas, the founder and owner of the Camel Soap Factory, a company she started after studying soap making in London producing skincare products made with locally sourced camel milk. Today we'll talk about uh, the camel soap factory, the story of it, how it came about, the skincare industry in Dubai, and also the future trends in Dubai and for her business. So good morning, Stevie. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And nice to speak to you. So we're still doing this over Zoom. We're still working remotely, navigating COVID, um, how, how are you? How's the start to the year? Yeah, I'm, I, COVID's given us an interesting start to the year, hasn't it? Um, I mean, we, we were seeing um, a real um, bounce in the economy at the end of last year, but and so the start of this year has kind of taken the wind out of our sails ever so slightly. Um, but we're, we're enormously optimistic for, for 2022. Excellent. Yeah, um, so I'd love to talk about the pandemic because I, you know, whenever we've had uh, beauty experts and businesses on the podcast in the last year and a half, there was a real shift to skincare as opposed to makeup. So, and there's better terms for that, but I'm sure your business has done well despite the pandemic. Um, yes and no. Um... You know, the, the company that, that I started was originally sort of started on the premise that um, we, we we started actually as, as literally a soap factory. Um, oh. And it and it all kind of started when in the in 2012-13, I, I, I saw a little gap in the market for, for gifts, actually, not skincare, funnily enough. And um, I was aware that available in, in gift shops were products from India, products from China, but very little that was local. Um, so my initial um, stab into the market was with a product that was created with a local ingredient, camel milk, but which we sold largely through tourist shops, 
tourist venues. Um, and really, we were targeting the 20 million people that came to, to, to visit Dubai. So when the when 85, 90% of your business is dependent on tourist footprint, um, when COVID happened, clearly, we were going to be quite badly affected. Um, and we literally saw our revenues drop by 90%. Um, where skincare came in is what we've done subsequently. I really hate the word pivot, but we had to look really closely at our business model and being so dependent on one particular consumer sector um, really um, made us think a lot more broadly about what we do and how we can start really starting to address the wider skincare um, markets. A very long answer to your question, but yes, the, the, the pandemic did affect us, but, but actually I think in the long term, it affected us very positively. Amazing. It's a good answer. And I guess I should have started with the foundation of the business, but you, you gave a hint or some of the story. Um, I think it's fascinating. It's great to hear of a business that looked at the UAE from a, hey, that people aren't doing manufacturing here. How do we go about that? And you created your own factory. So I, I think that was probably a brave thing to do because it's not what everyone does. So how did you, how did you think that that could be something you could do and make it in a way where it makes business sense. Um, yeah, I mean, um, brave or stupid, I'm still not quite. <laughs> That's definitely brave. Definitely, definitely brave. <laughs> um, but in the early days, um, I mean, I did. I ventured very hesitantly into the market. Um, and, and to give you a little background, I mean, we started really by, I'm, I knew nothing about making skincare or soap products. I, I come from the electronics payments industry. My background was IT um, business management. Um, and, you know, I, I happened across this idea and thought, gosh, this would be great. So, I mean, I had to first learn how to make soap um, and make creams and understand that. So I actually literally just Googled best soap maker in the world. And um, I popped this name, Melinda Koss, um, in London. And I went over to London to do her course and learned how to make soap. Um, and then I, I, I started making it really from home and went to a few fairs and markets and discovered that actually there was an enormous market for what I was doing. Um, and that's when I, I kind of made the decision we're going to need a manufacturing facility and I, I was going to need an industrial license. Um, and the, the rest is, is, is sort of history. So I, I ended up, um, I did, I was advised to see if I could find a company to, to manufacture what we wanted. But actually in those days, and even nowadays, it's still rare to find the kind of manufacturing company that does the kind of work that we do. So we really focus on sustainable, sustainable environmentally friendly manufacture. Um, we, 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 we wanted to do kind of short run, very high quality products. And everything in the UAE was geared to huge machines, you know, running five tons of some sort of soap base through a really large sort of Mazzoni type machine. There was, there was not much, of, available um, to support companies like myself. And the big irony is, is, is over COVID and, and more recently, 
is we are finding many companies are coming to us and we're actually not just manufacturing our own brand, but we actually manufacture for a number of other companies as well now. All who have this idea for creating niche high quality products and we now manufacture for them. Fascinating, interesting. And where does the camel milk come into it? And how, do, how does one make soap? <laughs> um, yeah okay so the chamomile came in because um I'm, i've actually always been a bit obsessed with natural products um and my whole life i've bought natural soaps um i really don't like to use these kind of detergent bars that you you can typically buy quite cheaply on the shelves and you know place like spinneys or carrefour um so I've always I've always used milk soaps um, and I've traditionally bought soaps made with things like goat milk or donkey milk. And it struck me in the early days that actually here is a local ingredient, camel milk, in good supply um, that would actually be a really beautiful ingredient potentially in a, a soap product. I wasn't even thinking the kind of product range we've got now, but initially it was just this 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 little handmade soap product. And I tested it and not so much to my surprise, I wasn't surprised that it worked. I think what did take me surprised was actually how good it was. And it turns out camel milk has amazing properties. Um, it's, um, the camel produces a lot less milk than a cow. Um, it is very, very rich milk as a result. Um, and that milk is full of vitamins, minerals, um, all the sorts of things that actually we do put on our skins. Um, yeah. And we we ended up with a very loyal customer base for our soaps. Um, people who started buying the product simply because they had problems like eczema or psoriasis. Um, and, and even tourists were writing to us saying, I just bought your product, but actually it's amazing. My skin has never felt so good. And that's really how camel milk came about um, in terms of the product. Um, the, the other aspect for me though, was trying to source ingredients that were, were used locally. I mean, the Bedouin have used camel milk for centuries. Uh, they've used the camel milk fat, they've used the butters. Um, they've used it for all sorts of, not just nutritional reasons, but um, the, the fats and oils they've used on their skin as well. Um, so we knew that that incorporating this kind of ingredient into products was inevitably going to lead to quite good products. But we also, I mean, it's not just camel milk. We also look at trying to source other local ingredients. So we buy Omani frankincense, which is another astonishing ingredient. And we incorporate that into our skincare um, cream products. Mm. Um, we're about to launch a range of shampoo bars and conditioners that will be incorporating a powder that's been used for centuries by Bedouin women called Siddur. Um, and it's a leaf powder for, for scalp problems. And we've discovered it's really amazing in, 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 in our shampoo bars. So the camel milk, I guess, is really part of the, the wider using um, ingredients that are part of the Middle Eastern heritage. Wow, fascinating. Um, yeah, so not only are you doing manufacturing, like assembling a product in the UAE, you're actually using natural resources, not, not just from around the world, but you're using them from here. It sounds yes. like... It's, it, sounds it sounds like, you know, not only uh, have you had a career in, in the commercial world or the corporate world and done a course in London, but 
the personal interests out of uh, you know products that uh, many entrepreneurs come up with a product because they can't find what they personally want to use. Um, but there, mu there must be, see, be some interest that you have in products and ingredients in general to be so interested and to be able to source all these um, all these uh, ingredients. Uh, how, yeah. how does that come from? Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, it's sort of twofold. I mean, one is that I find myself um, absolutely fascinated by the whole process of manufacture. So it's not just just product for me personally. Uh, manufacturing is really fascinating and particularly when you manufacture in a really different way um, perhaps to to the way product is produced in a, in a standard way um, but my interest in natural products um, probably uh, started I, I guess about 15 years ago um, when my little girl was born um, she had quite sensitive skin um, and I discovered that the only soaps I could use on her skin were the soaps that I'd made myself. And that sort of made me start looking. I'd never been really aware of ingredients. I think I was your classic unaware consumer. You know, if the label said something nice on the outside, I generally believed it. Mm. But I started, I started reading labels and I started understanding ingredients and realized that um, and, and I think the world is jumping on this bandwagon to a certain extent um, is people are becoming a lot more aware of what goes into products. And it's not just it's, it's, it's food, what we eat, but what we put on our skin. Um, and they're becoming a lot more aware of how it's made. And, and a very subtle thing um, that people often don't think about, they're also becoming very aware of how it's packaged. Um, so I, th I think, you know, if I, if I have to look at uh, my long-term vision, I mean, we've, we've got this vision of, of bringing all this beautiful Middle East heritage to the world. But in the long run, I think if I put it really simply, I want to get plastic out of the bathroom. Mm. Um, I just want to get plastic out of the bathroom. Wow. Um, and I want to do it in a way um, and using ingredients that are pretty kind to the skin and, and kind to the planet as well. Mm. Fascinating. So there's, um, forgive my ignorance, but there's zero plastic in in the. There's usually oil and plastic in in soaps, right? Is there? And there isn't in your. There's, no, there's no plastic in soaps. Um, there, there are always oils. Um, many detergent bars have a lot of chemicals in them, and and there's a reason for this. Um, the, the the when you make a classic soap product in the traditional way, it's quite a sticky a sticky product. That stickiness comes from glycerin. Um, so for the soaps that are sold on the shelves, they have to extract that beautiful glycerin out of the soap product so that they can get it through the machines so that they can process enough of it. They also have to add a lot of chemicals for hardening, chemicals for foaming, chemicals for making it white. Um, you know, and, and this is the nature of the world we live in, you know, is that if you want to buy something mass produced and cheaply, you, you do have to compromise an awful lot on, on what actually goes into, into that product. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, so soap itself doesn't contain um, plastic, but when you think about things like shampoos and conditioners, they're packaged in, in plastic. Plastic, yeah. You know, and people, I mean, we're shipping around tons and tons and tons of plastic, then we're throwing it away. 
also that we can wash our hair. Now, you know, if we can start to change perceptions and create products that are as good, if not better than the products in the plastic bottle and can put it in a bit of recyclable paper or cardboard, mm. um, one, it's cheaper to transport. Two, um, the waste is so much less um, and, and it, the, the whole process is better for the environment. Interesting. So from the positioning and being a, a sustainable product and environmental friendly product, as opposed to what was traditionally in the market, I, I guess that's been part of your positioning from the start. So that's what would have attracted customers um, at the yes. start as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, very much so. I mean, even our packaging, you know, I, I really looked at all our packaging options. And in the end, we we, we went for these really beautiful um, jute bags. Um, and the whole purpose of that was one is the bags were reusable. Um, um, and, you know, for instance, I keep all my USB sticks and that's in, in one of my little soap bags. Um, so the whole point was reuse it. Um, okay. But if you can't reuse it, it's compostable. Um, okay. And you could throw this in, 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 in your rubbish and it would actually degrade naturally without any impact on the environment. So even our original packaging really was designed with a thought for how, how can we create something that's not going to be creating additional packaging waste. But was, it, was the Camel Soap Factory, you, you described at the start of the conversation that you would supply to tourists in, in tourist shops and things like that. So was it supposed to be a B2B model? And did your customers come from the UAE at the start? And, uh, or did you also have a, a place to sell direct to the consumer before the pandemic? Yeah, okay, so that, that's a really good question. I mean, our model actually was always previously B2B. The pandemic has changed that and I'll, I'll go into that. So our original model had been to, to, to create these beautiful products and then sell them to distributors or large retailers. Um, so for example, one of our really good customers from the very early days is this a really beautiful gift gallery called Al Jabba Gallery. And we sold our products through to the tourist market through through their vast network of, of gift shops. Um, this meant we didn't have to own, I mean, what I know about retail is dangerous. Um, and it meant I didn't have to have my own store. So you, you sacrifice a little bit in terms of margin, perhaps, um, with that sort of model. But what you can do is then build volume. And then to address your second question, you know, is where did the customers come from? Um, the UAE, but the UAE is actually a fairly small market when you really think about it. Um, I mean, in terms of people who can afford a product like this, it's actually less than a million people. It's, it's mm -hmm. really quite small. So for us, our big target in the early days was those 20 million visitors into the country. Um, and those were the people we really targeted and were very, very successful. What's changed with the pandemic, um, um, travel patterns have changed, but we've realized that our product meets a consumer need a lot wider than just locally. Um, so this is why we're now um, looking at very different markets um, and ways to market. And, the, and for us, obviously, that's embracing e-commerce. Um, 
you know, when, you, when you're selling to tourists, e-commerce is not necessarily the best way because people are walking around. Um, you don't log on to a computer to buy a gift to take home to your home country. Um, you see it in a shop and think, oh, that'll be nice for granny. Um, but if, if, if you want to reach wider consumers with a wider message, you have to do that with an e-commerce platform. And that's been the real change for us in the pandemic. Yeah, fascinating. It sounds like, forget the point, but you, you've got a lot of the ingredients that one would need to have an e-commerce brand. You manufacture the goods, you have your own labeling, you have your own positioning. You're also on trends, If you know, not, not to just latch on to trends, but you're in terms of what the consumer is looking for now in e-commerce, in this digital native vertical brand sort of thing, or sustainable uh, produced uh, goods. Uh, so that there's a lot of benefits there, but I I imagine it must have been hard to sort of um, to generate that direct to consumer relationship. And I've seen your website. It looks like a very clean um, e-commerce friendly website, but I'm sure it just didn't happen overnight. So what was the kind of journey to sort of not pivoting, but evolving into that space? I like that word to evolve. Yeah. <laughs> um, li listen, it's a journey we're still on, if I'm absolutely honest, Richard. Um, there, there, I think there are some products um, that can switch and, and move very easily from the sort of direct, the, 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 the B2B model we had into, into, into e-commerce. But when you have a brand and a product, um, you really have to start getting that brand into the face of the people you, you want to buy your product or you feel that you appeal to. So it's, it's, it's been a massive learning um, curve for us. Um, I can honestly say that we have learned massively and made a number of mistakes along, along the way. But I look at mistakes and think they're, without mistakes actually, I, I think we're better for the mistakes in a sense that we've learned really valuable things about how people buy online, what attracts them online, and um, and and what we really at this stage still trying to do is gain traction, um, and 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 become a brand name locally. Um, and by locally, I don't just mean the UAE; I mean the GCC, because we feel that the products that we have um, really um, are products that reflect the, the wider region. But obviously, for us, then we'd like to go after more markets um, overseas and, and in particular the Muslim markets because that's where we find the biggest interest in products made with camel milk. Interesting because they're, they're familiar with it from a background point of view as well but yeah so what what is the current product suite that you have available to customers online? Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Always like a chance to punch what we do. It's so great. we've obviously <laughs> we, we've obviously got our, our original range of products um, that people do know well. They've been available in places like Carrefour and Spinneys and Waitrose for many years. Um, and these are our handmade soap products that are made with fresh camel milk um, and more importantly are made with really beautiful natural ingredients, olive oil, shea butter, coconut oil. It's really as simple as that. And we, and, and we use essential oils to fragrance them. Um, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, we were well positioned because of Expo 2020. We were actually um, um, signed up as a licensee for Expo 2020. We'd invested um, 
quite heavily in some new equipment to allow us to produce an, another type of bar soap. So we introduced at the beginning of last year, um, a new um, brand under the Camel Soap Factory, which was um, a range of more everyday soaps. Um, hand, handmade soaps can be expensive um, and uh, much as lo everybody loves to use them, they tend to keep them for special occasions, for guest bathrooms and for that sort of thing. But we introduced a range of very, very high quality, what are called milled soaps. Um, and these soaps are, are pushed through a machine. Um, so same sort of ingredients that go into these, but um, we add in our camel milk um, and we add in our fragrances. Um, and these soaps sell at about half the price um, of the handmade. They're a lot cheaper to manufacture. You don't have the whole process of um, of storing and curing the soaps which you do with a handmade one. Um, so those products are all available on um, at, at shops like at retailers like Carrefour um, and we're hoping to go into to places like Spinney's at some time soon as well. Um, then we we added to that product range. Um, we knew we were onto something good with the camel milk and we developed um, just before COVID an amazing face cream, which we call the, the, the face rescue cream, um, also made with fresh camel milk, but more importantly, totally natural um, with minimal preservation. Um, we, we keep the, and we do that by packaging it in a way that you can't put your fingers into the bottle. Um, and we launched that last year, um, along with um, some really beautiful hand and body creams that have just become available in the last couple of months. And then we'll be launching in the first quarter of this year, um, a product we're very excited about, which is our shampoo bar and conditioner. And these are liquid free, plastic free, environmentally friendly shampoo bars and conditioners. And they will be a first local product into the market. There are a couple um, available worldwide. I have to say many of them not very good. Um, There's only one product I'd really rate is okay. Um, ours is excellent. We've been test driving it for the last four to five months. Mm. Um, so the range is expanding and allowing us to really go more directly to consumer with products that, that people perhaps um, want to have in their homes and use on a daily basis. Fascinating. So you really do have a, a full range of beauty and skincare products uh, in, in a region where beauty and skincare spend per person is the highest per capita in the world. So it's, it seems like a very good positioning and it seems also that you're doing something rather unique as well. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, so, it, you, you know, you, you, have, you think there's a good opportunity for the business now in the years to come? Yeah, we do. Um, we just attracted um, some major investment into the company at the end of last year. Um, and both parties that came in as investment really could see the future for the company um, in terms of what our vision was for taking this really beautiful Middle Eastern brand, this vision for a natural sustainable product and taking it worldwide. Um, it has its challenges. Um, as you can imagine, it's a very competitive marketplace. Um, so, you know, it, hearing getting your voice heard in that market space is can be tough and very expensive as well but I, I firmly believe that if you've got a really high quality product 
um, and you can tap into the, the base of people who really appreciate and love that sort of quality, the, the quality natural product, um, that, the, that, that the market is big enough uh, for players like ourselves. Interesting. And Stevie, just going back to uh, jump around a little bit, because there's a few things I haven't pieced together, but going back to the, the manufacturing process, where exactly is your factory located and how do you source uh, your key suppliers, let's say the, the farms for the camel milk and, and those sort of relationships? Yeah, so that was that was my biggest challenge. At the, uh, we started with a very with a factory and a warehouse in Alcoz. Um, we had about seven thousand, um, no, three thousand five hundred square foot of, of warehouse space that we converted into a factory in Alcoz. Um, we subsequently moved to a much more bespoke industrial area in Dubai, Silicon Oasis. Um, and we, we have about nine thousand square foot of really um, um, good um, modern um, industrial facility now. Um, sourcing is interesting. Um, when you start out, you discover that when you start manufacturing, buying is actually one of your most difficult problems. Um, and in the early days, I used to go into Carrefour and literally buy out all their olive oils and all their coconut oils and all their cows. <laughs> 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 of course, you go to a supplier and say, I want to buy 10 bottles. And they look at you and go, no. Um, the beauty of growth, of course, is that it's allowed us to form some really strong supplier relationships. Um, so we buy from one of the really big dairies um, in the region. Um, we, um, and the, there's a reason for that. I mean, we do get approached by many local farmers who say, will you buy my camel milk? Um, but for us, because of the SARS and MERS epidemic 10 years ago, which I think a lot of people have probably forgotten, but the MERS epidemic was actually linked to camel's milk and it was linked to unpasteurized camel's milk. So we still actually can't ship our products into some countries in Asia who still have a ban on camel milk because wow. of the epidemic 10 years ago. Mm. Um, the, um, so what we need to make sure is that we source milk that really goes through a, a state-of-the-art pasteurization facility. Um, and the milks that we buy are the same as the milks that you would consume if you went to go and buy it off a supermarket shelf. Mm. In terms of our oils and butters, um, we're still not at a stage yet where we can go to maybe a farm in Africa. I mean, we have dreams of maybe forming supply relationships where we buy from from. Um, particularly maybe small farms that produce in a way that that, that goes with our sort of our, our, our mission and vision and, and our ethics. Um, but at the moment, we, we, we really are obliged to source from some suppliers who do buy in from, from those sort of sources. And so we've, we've established local supply chains who bring in things like shea butters and bring in coconut oils um, and, and bring in things like olive oil, because clearly those cannot be manufactured in the reason they do need to be brought in from, from outside. So, yeah. you know, if you ask me what goes into soap, it's really quite simple. Um, the handmade soaps, I mean, we've got one bar of soap that is literally olive oil, a tiny bit of beeswax and camel milk. 
Um, mm. And then we, we use a chemical agent to start the saponification process. Fascinating. Um, and from the, uh, from the manufacturing point of view to the products, um, so the marketing and the consumer purchasing of different products might vary. The frequency that one uses soap versus uh, face cream versus uh, different types of products would change. Have you found that since you, you've started the, the direct consumer, which of the products is there more demand for and what's the sort of purchasing cycle uh, of, of people? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, that that's the holy grail, isn't it? Is that you almost become um, a product that somebody buys on subscription. Yeah. Um, because when you think about it, if you buy a jar of face cream, you really want it to last for, you know, 30 to 60 days, a month to two months. Um, if I buy a bar of soap, I want it to last for, for a month. Um, okay. So our, 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 so we, I mean, the beauty of products like these is that they do need to be replaced. The key um, is really getting people to replace your product with your own product. And when people buy again, say, I really love that, I'm buying that again. Um, and, and actually you've touched, you've touched on what probably is our holy grail is actually to, to introduce some sort of subscription service. So, you know, Richard clicks on and says, can you just, deliver me two bars of soap, my shaving balm, my shaving cream. Um, you don't shave. Okay. My, uh, <laughs> my beard balm. We make a beautiful beard balm. <laughs> Interesting. But I think I could use your, your facial cream, right? Like it's for guys as well, and, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God. Men love it. Yes. In yeah. fact, I think some of our, our, our wildest fans are men because yeah. it's simple. It's, yeah. it's really, we're not selling a 16 step skin routine. I like simplicity. <laughs> and what we're really aiming for is simple, honest skincare. And men love that, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was excitement in the office a month ago. We were doing something with Charlotte Tilbury and they, they, everyone explained to me what the magic cream was. So I can see how a product like that can almost uh you know carry the brand in a way and, and i guess what yes. i was getting at was you know which of which of of your products or your hero products that that can kind of get known and, and carry the brand yes well i think our hero product is actually our face rescue cream um mm. it is an astonishing product um it got voted best natural product in the middle east um 2021 by a beauty world yeah uh, sorry so yeah that is Absolutely, our hero product. Um, it's the product we've invested the most R&D in. Um, it's the product we've had the most amazing feedback on. And I think for us going forward, it, it, it will be. I also think when our shampoo bar and conditioner hits the market, mm. it's going to vie for number one place because they are amazing products. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so earlier you were talking about the sort of e-commerce uh, transition and uh, you mentioned some mistakes and things like that what what was it like i think no one does no one does e-commerce or digital without learnings and i think you need to kind of jump in and figure things out but where were the challenges and where were the learnings and um you know what what stage are you at now yeah so i think our biggest learnings were that what we thought that what we could do is outsource it um you know because what we knew about digital marketing is probably dangerous it's probably better called performance marketing mm. um and when we first embarked on this venture it was a, a learning experience for us um we discovered that 
it was a learning experience for many of the agencies we went out to as well. So I think one of the, the, the biggest challenges we, we face, um, and this is a real regional problem, is the lack of talent um, and the, the, the lack of real in-depth understanding of how to do this kind of performance marketing. So we've, we've had to, to reach out um, wider than the UAE to, to, to get that experience. Um, we also learned that you can spend a great deal of money, but if you don't monitor on a daily basis, um, you're, you're, you're literally throwing money throwing down the drain. Yeah. I mean, you're just throwing money away. So we've learned that um, really you've got to monitor very, very closely each and every penny that you spend. Um, and this, this won't be new to anybody who, who, who does e-commerce you know, e marketing. Um, in the end, what we've decided to do is, is kind of bring in skills in-house um, and then outsource just um, aspects of performance marketing to real specialists. Um, rather than than looking to an agency who who can who, who can who can do everything, but I think when you're a small company, and this has been another learning for us, is that when you when you're an agency, you know they're perhaps handling the agency for huge companies with million dirham budgets. Mm. Our budgets a lot smaller, and you tend to get pushed to the bottom of the pile. Um, mm. So. We've, we've learned that really we've got to manage it ourselves. We've got to build up our own skill sets. We've had to learn um, and really focus on understanding what, what digital marketing is about and how, how you reach out. But I think the, the, the biggest learning is you've also got to understand the people that you're trying to sell to. Um, mm. And that's, that, that can be quite challenging. Um, mm. I think we're we're getting there. We, we understand, but it's reaching those people as well. Yeah, fascinating. It's a topic I'm super interested in. I think you know um, you're totally right. And, and the agency buying model was always based on volume. So the percentage, depending on the pricing model, but it would be incentivized to look after the bigger volume spend. Yeah. Um, but then, but then it is like a a, a trick or a drug or the reason. Facebook and Google take so much of the ad dollar online is because they have done such a good job at educating people on lower funnel performance marketing, but then there's so much, much more to it. And, and um, you know, you described it, it well there, but I think what uh, your website looks amazing, right? It looks like almost like a marketplace. If I had a beauty product, I'd be like, oh, that'd be great. They've done the hard bit. They've made it clean. They've made it Dropbox, uh, you know, pick a product, uh, the checkout, everything like that. Um, but you, what, what isn't obvious for me at the start is that you also do the manufacturing. And what typically, if someone's building a product business right now, they will either, you know, do the drop shipping Shopify type approach where they, they, um, they make the product, but they almost outsource the. So they sell the product, but they almost outsource the manufacturing and the shipping. Or the other approaches where they do a marketplace where they take providers from people like you and they have a, an e-commerce website with the best products in their in their category. And what 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 you've done really is you've done the the factory and the good website, but it's it's costly to do everything because then you have to do the marketing and, and everything as well. 
Um, you, you're, you've actually put your finger on it ex exactly. And I think that's, well, you know, I mean, I, I think it, my, my mentor in the very early days said to me, Stevie, for goodness sake, find somebody to make it for you. I couldn't. Um, but in a sense, that's kind of what we're doing for a number of brands now as well. We actually make their product for them so that they can focus on how they get the product to the consumer. And in fact, to be quite honest, many brands operate that way. They focus entirely, their entire operation is geared around their marketing. Their, um, and the product is, is produced probably by a contract manufacturer. It's shipped by a fulfillment center. Um, and to be quite honest, most of the time, they don't even see the product. Um, sure. They'll have conceptualized, conceptualized it, had it formulated. I mean, and very good products shipped this way. Um, mm. So what we have done is unusual. Um, and I guess, um, you know, it's it's why we've ended up with some of our investors being 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 quite close to to, to UAE government and Dubai government, because they see that the future of this country is also based on building that industrial and manufacturing base. Exactly. And whilst we might be quite quirky and a little different, we're we're as important to the to the total um, e ecosystem as are say the the big tech companies. Yeah, but it might be unusual here, but it's actually best practice. It's best in class. I, my, my brother was visiting from San Francisco and he was wearing these shoes and I, I purchased these shoes that uh, from the US and they came quite quickly and the whole experience because they're well backed uh, company and but their whole e-commerce experience because they own end to end they own the you know it was it wasn't on a third party website they own the product and they just do one thing well it's the it's that sort of you know, Warby Parker example that's done well over the years and, and this sort of product example um, that I, I said to a friend of mine who's an investor in this space and, uh, you know, I said to her that I wish there was more products that were done end to end in the UAE, whether it's, whether it's uh, apparel or whether it's beauty or skincare or things like that, because only then do you know, do you really trust, do you say, okay, this is the website, that's the source. This is the product, that's the source. And then you know that they're going to be investing in the same way they did with the factory and with the product in the in the customer service. And the time. final experience. You know, that's a really that's a really interesting point. I think you know, one of my 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 heroes of, of this was Zappos um yeah. in, in the US, you know, because they also own their whole process from front from from, from the from the start to, to the finish. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, owning the manufacturing process mean we we own all pa all parts of the process. It has its challenges, um, but it's mm. also enormously rewarding. And I think for the for the consumer, there are huge benefits. I agree. Amazing. So we just finish uh, on a question on on the region and and your uh, enthusiasm and sort of approach to the region. Do you see it as for your business and personally? Do you see it? opportunity within the UAE, within the Gulf and, and North Africa or Middle East and North Africa? Um, you know, do, do you think a lot of your growth can come from here in the next uh, decade or so? 
Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, we do have global ambitions. Um, we, we think our products are, are good enough um, to, to do really well um, in a number of markets. Um, I'd say so for the next sort of um, three to four years, our focus really is on the wider GCC. We're particularly interested in Saudi um, because we feel that the product will resonate with many um, Saudis and um, it's really just a, a matter of finding the right partnerships in, in Saudi to, to take the product um, into that market. The other big market that we're targeting is the Chinese market. Um, we knew before the, the pandemic hit us that our products were 60% of our product was being bought by Chinese. Um, who does, I mean, I know that there's, um, there's a, a, a a very prevalent viewpoint that you know that's where all the fakes come from um and that chinese um but let me tell you they are the most fussy consumers i've ever dealt with they read their ingredients they know their labels and they are really fussy about natural product so we believe that there is a massive opportunity for us um, in, in Asia generally, um, China just being the start of it. Um, and then we're really looking um, over the next 10 years to just to, 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 to widen our footprint, to go globally across to potentially the States and Europe. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing the journey and the story today. It's great to hear about companies like this and wishing you best of luck. And we'll definitely follow the soap factory uh, as you, the Camel Soap Factory, as you as you continue to grow. Ah, oh, Richard, that, that's amazing. People can follow us, by the way, if I may say, um, on Instagram, Camel Soap Factory, um, and our Facebook is the Camel Soap Factory. Um, we we would love to have um, people there. Um, and thank you. I can't believe it's forty five minutes, Richard. Yeah, 40, 43, 49. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. that was a good shot. That was and, lovely. I really enjoyed really it. Nice. Thank you so much and wishing you well and we'll follow and it's also the camelsofactory.com and they can buy lovely gifts on there as well. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, I think, soon. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. I really enjoyed that, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and uh, great to see a company like that in the UAE and I have no doubt that they're well positioned in the beauty uh, space and in the skincare space. Uh, thank you to our producers, Ali and Shahir, for bringing together another Dubai Works Business podcast. Uh, join us again next week, same time, same place, 11 a.m. on Thursdays. Uh, if you're listening, watching live, it's on the Smashy TV website and app. You can download that on iOS and Android, but it's also now available on Sony TVs, on Apple TVs and uh, a few more as well. Uh, and do, if you're listening on the podcast, please do subscribe, leave a comment. Let us know if you enjoyed the podcast. Let us know if you tried any of the products. Uh, it's just good for our feedback, but also um, if there's any guests that you'd like to see coming up in the, in the future, uh, do let us know. 